Well, good morning again. This morning we're continuing in our series called No Comfort Zone. And we're going to be in Psalm 145, looking at verses 13 through 19. The text is found for you on page 10. There's a couple other passages we'll be referencing as well, printed for you on page 10. Boys and girls, you have your own translation that's found on page 10 as well. And you want to keep that in front of you. We will be referring to that throughout um, the sermon this morning. <clears throat> so true confession time, I'm probably not unique in this, but I love to hike. I got to hike a lot this summer in southeastern Wyoming where my parents live. I've been to the White Mountains in New Hampshire when we used to live up north. I went to Belle Isle just recently a couple of weeks ago. And I'm looking forward to getting uh, really, really lost around Charlottesville soon, as soon as I feel my knee is up to it. You know, but for many of us, being out in the woods, especially in autumn, right, winter, it's just breathtaking. It just makes our heart leap just in praise and gratitude for our Creator. And many of us, we have this worshipful experience in nature. It's, it's, it's hard not to look at the glory and beauty of nature and see the glory and beauty of God. And the Bible itself tells us that God does reveal Himself in nature, and so it's designed that way. We're supposed to do that. We're supposed to experience that. And that's what we find in Psalm 145 this morning. This psalm is about praising God for his greatness and for his goodness. It shows God's loftiness. It shows his mercy, especially in his works of creation and redemption. And then the specific verses we're going to zoom in on this morning, the psalmist uses God's care of creation as proof of his goodness. Now, from the context we can pick up, it appears that the psalm's original readers knew God cared for nature. That was a given. They weren't so sure God cared for them. And so the psalmist basically says, if you believe God cares for this, then you should believe this. Church people like us, we tend to have the opposite issue. We hear so often the good news of the gospel. We hear about God's grace and goodness that we kind of know that, yeah, God cares for us. We're not quite so sure that he cares for nature that much. Some of you are looking at the title to this sermon, Christian Tree Huggers, and you're thinking, environmentalism as part of Christianity? I mean, that makes some of us a bit uncomfortable. I mean, does Jesus really want his people to be a bunch of environmentalist wackos? No, but Psalm 145 does show us that since God cares for creation, we should too. So with that in mind, would you please rise if you are able for the reading of God's word from Psalm 145, verses 13 through 19. <clears throat> the Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. Let's pray together. Uh, gracious God and Heavenly Father, it is our joy to come before your word this morning to hear from you. And we ask, Spirit, that you would, in fact, do your surgery of bringing your word into our very heart and showing us truth, helping us to see Christ 
We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, of all the comfort zones that we Christians create, why am I going to spend a Sunday on the idea of creation care? Aren't there other more important ideas? There are, perhaps, but one of the generation gaps in our culture that we need to be aware of is that when it comes to religious longings, many, many people are now looking for something we could say more holistic, might be a good word, that doesn't just address spiritual issues, but also about life here and now. Now, we know full-orb gospel Christianity does that, but for previous generations, churched or unchurched, what happened is our Christianized culture kind of created the situation where, in general, people assumed some sort of guilt before the supernatural. So you could use things like the EE questions, right? If you were to stand before God and he were to say to you, why would I let you into my heaven, what would you say? People kind of fit right into that mold. They kind of had this assumption of guilt, and so they would kind of struggle with that. Now, if you've used the EE questions lately on someone, especially someone probably like 40 and under, they argue with you about all the prim- religious premises in that question. You've got to go and do a lot of pre-evangelism before you even get to that question nowadays because people don't feel this overarching guilt like they used to. Instead, the religious longings of most of our non-Christian neighbors now come from a place that they just sense that the world doesn't work. And they, they want bigger answers for big questions like, why are things so hard? Why... why is life hard? Why does pollution always happen? Why does there seem to be injustice here? They, they, these big picture issues, they want answers. And many today think they have found one. Whether you agree with it or not, that is not the issue. The narrative of global warming has taken over our culture. Again, I'm not addressing its veracity. I'm talking about its resonance. Many people my age and under, they live with the assumption that humanity is going to make the earth uninhabitable in the next three to five hundred years. It's a palpable, scary future. It's a fear that's just aching for the hope of the gospel. And one of the ways that we can speak truth in a way that people will hear is by giving them the compelling biblical response to what God intends for his people to do with his planet. So from this psalm and from a couple other brief passages, they're printed for you in bulletin, we have slides for them. I want to try to make the case for you today that we need to get out of our comfort zone and embrace the bigger truth that part of being a Christian is being a tree hugger. So with that, our theme for today, what I kind of want to wrap it all up in is this, is that we should care for God's world now because it will be our home then. We were intended for creation, we'll see. We're redeemed with creation, and we will be restored with creation. So let's jump right in. We are intended for creation. As we start this part of the psalm, when we read the word all in verses 13 through 15, we tend to think all people immediately. But the Hebrew and the greater context of the psalm is clear. This goes beyond humans alone. This all represents everything that is alive. Plants, animals, bacteria, whatever, humans. It's all proof of God's care. Now, I confess before that like you, I look at nature and I feel worshipful about God. I don't know if I've ever looked at nature and thought specifically of God's faithfulness as this psalmist does. I wonder if you have. 
See, the psalmist here appeals to God's care of nature as proof of God's faithfulness. I've never thought about it that way before. Let's look together at verse 14. Look what he says. He says, The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. We could kind of tweak that translation a little bit and even say the Lord refreshes the overwhelmed and he comforts the weary. And again, we naturally read that in terms of our emotional, yes, the Lord helps overwhelmed people and he helps weary people, but the Hebrew and the context won't let us limit this to just people. This is a promise for all of creation. You see, the reason that we hear that, we're like, are you sure? I don't know. Is that in the text? Is the reason we struggle with that is very early in Christianity, very, very early in the New Testament, Greek dualism slipped in, and we struggle with it today. Greek dualism, you've never, you've never maybe used that phrase, but you've used its terms before. It's the idea that the physical is somehow not quite as good as the spiritual. It causes us to believe, well, God cares about spiritual things, like saving our souls. But is he really that concerned about the physical stuff of creation? We struggle with that. And that's from Greek dualism, not Scripture. Such dualism is completely foreign to the Old Testament, and several of the books in the New Testament specifically teach against dualism to answer that threat. The spiritual-physical split does not mesh with Scripture, and it does not mesh with this psalm. The psalm tells us the Lord upholds all things, plants, animals, humans, rocks, which are falling, which are weak, which are hurting. God cares for nature. And here's a major point. One of the main ways God intended to care for creation was through humanity, through us. It's the biblical idea called dominion, where humans are to be in charge of the earth as stewards to manage it for its ultimate owner. God gives specific instructions on what that dominion looks like. He doesn't just leave it up to our creativity. All the way back at the very beginning in Genesis 2.15, it's printed for you on page 10, Genesis 2.15, The Bible says the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. The specific instruction God gives is what? Work and keep. A good way to translate those words for work and keep is to serve and protect. Should sound familiar. The scripture itself tells us that our dominion makes us servants and protectors of creation. That's how much God cares for his creation. The only creatures made in the image of God are the only creatures specifically meant to serve and protect creation. That's how much he cares. Now that intention was lost in the fall. It's been distorted in our fall into sin. So instead of working with creation, one of the curses is that we are now at odds with creation. Humans are alienated from nature now. But the biblical holistic picture of redemption is that Jesus heals the alienation between God and people. And Jesus heals the alienation between people and creation. Verse 15 goes to show us how much God still cares for his creation. He provides for everything that it needs, the text says. All the food of every living thing on earth comes directly from God, it says, even to this day. Think about what that means. While God makes sure that his gospel will still stand, while he makes sure the gates of hell will never prevail against his church, while he's answering your prayers, God is also making sure that photosynthesis still occurs as the basis of the food chain on earth. 
Do you think about God being that involved in creation? The psalmist does. Boys and girls, here's how he put it for you. Let's look at verse 15 in your translation there on the bottom of page 10. It says this. Everything looks to you for life, and you give them food when they need it. You know, boys and girls, it, it can be kind of scary sometimes to talk to adults who aren't mom and dad, isn't it? I know it is for my children. But every once in a while, there's that one adult who squats right down in front of you, looks you in the eyes, and you can tell they care about you. They want to know about your comic books or your favorite iPhone game or your Legos or your Disney princesses. It makes you feel good that they know those little things about you, doesn't it? And that's what this psalm tells us about God, boys and girls. that He knows all the little things about the plants and the animals and the humans intimately, and he takes care of them. Isn't it amazing to think that God is so big, but he also knows these little bitty things? See, boys and girls, God knows what your pet hamster needs more than you do, is what it says. He knows what your goldfish needs more than you do. He even knows what your pet rock needs. And of course, boys and girls, he knows what you need. You can go to him and ask him for help. If he knows these little things, of course he'll take care of you. That's what this psalmist is doing. Of course God takes care of nature. And if you believe that, then you should believe he takes care of you as well. See, and for all of us, not only does God know what we need, but he has given us a lofty purpose. He made us to take care of the creation that he loves. Now, we lost that ability to do that as completely as he would like because of sin, but through the new life we have in Jesus, we can take that purpose back up again. But the question remains, doesn't it? Is this just too far outside of our comfort zone? I mean, does it just seem too liberal? Too hippie? I mean, I hope not, because God's word says that humans were intended for creation. And the next thing we see is that humans are redeemed with creation. Look with me at verse 16. The psalmist says, You open your hand and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. Clearly not about creation. I mean, not about just people. It's about creation as well. And I love that image of God opening his hand and providing whatever's needed. Isn't that a great image? It's a picture of God just giving everything away. Taking care of the needs of his creation. I mean, it certainly makes me think of Jesus' death where God did not spare his own son, but delivered him him up for us all. But this image doesn't only refer to that. Again, look at the text there, verse 16, that says God satisfies the desires. We could kind of tweak that translation and maybe say he fulfills the pleasure or he enriches the delights of everything. For the kids in verse 16, we translate it, what every living thing really wants. That's way more significant than just food, isn't it? God fulfills the yearnings, the longings of creation. What does that mean? What is creation's deepest desire? What does creation long for? Well, remember, whenever you come across something in the Bible that doesn't make sense, you have one of two options. You can skip it and move on to something else, or you can find somewhere else in the Bible that kind of maybe illuminates and makes that part more plain. Very often, if it's something in the Old Testament that's a little weird, you can find something in the New Testament that kind of illumines it a little bit more. And so a a place we can look for help in the Bible today is in Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. 
It's uh, on your reflective quotes in the front of the bulletin, or we'll have a slide here for you. It says this, For in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So Paul, who wrote this book, teaches that just as God was pleased to become human, so too he was pleased to reconcile creation to himself through the death of Jesus. All things in heaven and earth, creation itself, Colossians tells us, is reconciled by the blood of the cross. What creation wants, what fulfills the desire of creation is for this reconciliation to be complete. You see, in the Colossian church, they were struggling with this Greek dualism we talked about earlier. They thought the Christian life meant that they could do whatever they wanted with their bodies. Or they, their bodies didn't matter. Their jobs didn't matter. Their families didn't matter. Creation didn't matter. All that mattered was read your Bible, spend time in worship, pray, you know, the spiritual stuff. And so Paul corrects them, says, no, Jesus died to reconcile all of creation of which you are just a part You mean redemption's not just about us? But we like to look at the world as if it's just about us. Or is that just me? I mean, honestly, has it ever crossed your mind that the blood of Jesus reconciled creation back to God just as much as it reconciles sinners back to God? That's what Colossians 1 says. How does that change the way we think about creation? And the role of Christians in caring for creation. See, God's word demands that we care for creation. Jesus bled for creation as much as he bled for us. How's that for an uncomfortable statement? Jesus died for the rocks? For the cockroaches? For the lions and tigers and bears? Oh oh my. I mean, that's way out of our comfort zone, isn't it? But that's what it says. Do, do we believe it? Or is it just too uncomfortable? See, due to the fall into sin, creation is out of sync with its creator, just as we are. And just like you and I are, that out of sync, that breakage is healed by the blood of Jesus. So back to the psalm. So verse 16 tells us that God fulfills the desire of creation. That creation desires to be back in sync with its creator, just like you and I want to be. And I admit, even saying that just feels odd. It does. But I can't get around it from looking at Scripture. It's a concept I struggle to believe. And it's almost as if the Holy Spirit, in putting the Bible together, anticipates the incredulity of verses 13 through 16. And so tells us in the very next verse, look at verse 17. To answer our objections, what's he say? The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. For the kids, we translate it, God does everything the right way and everything he does is holy. I mean, it's almost, I know you guys would never do this as parents, but it's almost as if God says, because I said so, in verse 17. See, verse 16, God determines to redeem creation. And verse 17 says he is righteous and kind to do so. And look at how righteous and kind God is. God has determined in his infinite love and mercy to redeem fallen, sinful humanity by the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. That's the gospel. 
And God has determined in his infinite love and mercy to redeem a fallen, sinful creation by the blood of Jesus. And that's the gospel too. Oh, there's so much power right there, dear flock, if you have ears to hear it. Not just for your own life, but for the life of your non-believing neighbors and friends. As our culture becomes more and more abstract, as people are spending more and more time in the false online world with fake friends and fake lives, they're so out of touch with reality. We, I shouldn't say they, we are so out of touch with reality, with other people, with nature itself. And God's grace meets them right there. Whereas a previous generation asked questions about what to do with feelings of guilt, the current generation wants to know its place in the world. What's the point of everything? Again, especially under the narrative of global warming that the earth is going to be destroyed. I mean, if the earth is going to be destroyed in 300 years, what's the point of anything? It leaves people feeling empty inside and hopeless. But when we can come along and show them this holistic gospel that God the Creator loves and cares for His people and His creation so much that He sent His Son to live and die for them and that He has meaning and purpose for humanity then as the servants and protectors of creation, that speaks to our neighbor's hopeless hearts. Some will want to know more about that earthy good news. So let this psalm lift your vision and see that we are redeemed with creation, not from creation. So we're intended for creation. We're redeemed with creation, and we'll see finally that the great news for us and the great news for our culture and our neighbors is that we are restored along with creation. So in the last couple of verses here, the psalmist changes focus from creation to people especially the household of believers. Verse 18 uses the word near, you'll notice there, but it's not about geography. That's a relational term. It's the idea of being in the same family. And so to whom is God near? What does the psalmist say? Those who cry unto him for help. Those who do it in truth. In other words, those who see they have a problem realize that they need help, and so they cry out to God. They believe he can actually help them. Those who repent and believe are those in a relationship with God. Oh, it's great to be in a relationship with God. But he doesn't just leave it there. Look with me at verse 19. What does he say? He says, He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. There's that word desire again, right? Connecting it back to verse 16. Showing us that what God does for creation, he does for his people. Those who cry out to him, who revere him, who believe in him, he rescues them. So linking verse 16 and verse 19 together, somehow creation and God's people are going to be restored together, this psalm tells us. Again, it's kind of, we're seeing that kind of in a fog in the Old Testament, but the New Testament picks up on this theme and makes it explicit. Look with me at Romans 8, verses 19 through 22. Again, it's printed for you on page 10. I believe we have a slide for this. It says this. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. 
See, Paul looks at the future glory when God resurrects his people to be with him forever in eternity. And he says, what does he say? It's incredible. What does Paul say? Creation longs for that to happen too. I want you to think about the afterlife, what we commonly call heaven. How do you see yourself? What do you picture there? I'm going to give you a second to get that mental image in your mind. What does heaven look like to you? Is it sort of disembodied? Is there like a lot of mist and clouds and stuff? Well, I'm sorry, but that's Greek dualism with a big mix of Dante and not Scripture. I know, I'm sorry. It's my, it's, it's my job to you know, ruin the ride so often. See, when Christians die, their bodies are laid into the ground and their souls are in the immediate presence of God. But that's not permanent. Our ultimate eternal home is with, with God is not in some ethereal, cloudy place separated from our bodies. Our eternal home is back in our bodies on earth. You can look at Revelation 21 later this afternoon if you don't believe me. Okay. See, when God makes all things new, when the new heavens and new earth come to be, the spiritual reality called heaven comes down. We don't go up. Look, look, look again, look it up yourself. Heaven comes down and superimposes itself on the earth, creating a new heavens and new earth. Eden is restored. Our bodies are raised from the grave and reunited with our souls. So we have a physical existence on earth for eternity. That is the biblical picture of eternal life. One scholar put it this way. I love this. He says, our final stage is not heaven 1.0. It's Eden 2.0. Isn't that a great way to think about it? See, we should care for God's world now because it will be our home then. See, far from avoiding involvement in the environmental movement, Christians then should be leaders in it. Far, far from us like just saying, I don't want to deal with that, that's not spiritual, you can have it. No, we have a better foundation for ecology and for creation care than they do. Creation is going to be restored as our home. All right, so let me wrap this up. <clears throat> so originally... This psalm used God's care of creation to prove his care for people. And since I've been emphasizing God's care of creation today, maybe this psalm can do its original purpose for you. I mean, if God cares about creation this much as I've been trying to make the case over the last, you know, 25 minutes or so, whatever it is you're going through in your life, the stresses, the heartache, whatever it is that steals your joy, causes you to cry out for help. This psalm tells us God hears that too. He hears your cry. And he can heal you through Jesus. When you place your faith and trust in Jesus as the resurrected Lord who lived for you and died for you, he he won't take away your pain immediately, but he will help you endure your pain. He will hold you close and he will be near to you, this psalm promises, during your struggles, during your crying out. And one day, someday, he will come back and he will restore to you what you've lost. He will undo what causes you grief when he restores all of creation. That's the gospel hope. And you can have that hope when you simply place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And for those of you who have done that, let's be realistic. This is not an easy subject for us to talk about. 
we really don't talk about this very much in church world. And that's the fault of people like me. That's not your fault. But creation care and environmentalism from a Christian perspective is just really hard to relate to, but it's a subject the Bible is very clear on. So here's the challenge for all of us, is let's love and care for creation. Let's see it as part of our evangelistic life on Mission Midlow. Maybe it's something as simple as planting a garden. Maybe it's something as simple as putting the screens down and going outside to play. Adults, I'm talking to you, not just kids. Maybe it's, maybe it's just simple as refusing to let the non-Christians assume the lead on this issue. It may be out of our comfort zone. But for the sake of the gospel, let's show an asking culture that God and his people do care about creation. And we have better reasons. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, a motivational speech is worthless. It's a waste of time. So Lord, I pray that what is of your spirit that has been said this morning, that you would just sear that into our hearts. And what has just been pablum, you would just throw away and let us forget it. We pray, Lord, that by your spirit, through your word, you would bring us into obedience, that you would show us what it means to care for creation as you intended, Father. We pray, Lord, that we would do this from a place of joy, as daughters and sons who want to make our Father happy, not as those trying to beg for bread. Oh, Lord, would you help us to understand and then to live out this holistic, beautiful gospel for all our neighbors to see and to be interested in, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.